Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another chilly day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dr. Brendan Kennedy, partner at Kilmeny Group Medical Practice. Brendan, hello. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Uh, leader is very much somebody who uh, takes people with them and inspires the people around them. Okay. But I think it's very much different to being a manager. A uh, manager is uh, about keeping tight control and uh, following uh, agreed plans. Leadership is much more about uh, taking the time to sit back, assess the uh, current situation, uh, trying to um, calculate risk and having the uh, strength uh, to then put forward the propositions uh, to others around them to buy into to take things forward. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, personally, I think I very much foster teamwork. Um, I think it's really important to understand your own limitations. Um, and to surround yourself by people who have the skills that you recognize yourself that you don't have. Um, I think it's important to, I think that's really, really important to think about the we, not the I, when it comes to leadership, that it is important to mm -hmm. um, encourage the growth of the people around you and get them to um, to take things forward. And certainly on a personal level, I think that's one thing that I've been successful uh, at doing over the course of the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, I'd like to think that people would uh, view me as being caring and sympathetic. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, that's what we've heard in the last few days about uh, making sure that uh, people do feel valued uh, and cared for. Cared for. Um, I think I'm a very good listener. Um, and I take the time to try and move away from the sort of meetings to spend time with other people in our organisation to work. Uh, mm -hmm and have a good understanding of what is happening on the ground because uh, you learn a lot more from uh, people outside of uh, board meetings than you do from um, necessarily listening to your colleagues in the, on the board uh, about the, the sort of current state of play uh, of where any organisation is. Well, let's go back to where you learned at the beginning of your career. When you were first starting out, was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that moulded the way that you lead today? Uh, very much so. So, um, I am fundamentally a medical practitioner. So I spent a lot of time um, at school, at university, and then uh, in a hospital environment learning to be a doctor. And that, learning, that was about learning clinical medicine, uh, learning about communication skills. Uh, and then I completed my training to be a GP. Now, I joined a GP practice um, and realized quite quickly that after years of medical school training, I'd actually joined an independent business and none of my medical school training had given me any understanding of the responsibilities I was taking on. They were responsibilities related to employment law, finance, accounting, tax returns, um, and this had not really been covered. So to join um, as a young GP a practice, I was very much reliant on my older colleagues to have the skills and the knowledge and to have things in place. Um, to ensure that we were operating business-wise in a safe way. Um, and what I did at that time was recognize that um, I didn't have the skills and we could do things in a better way. So I joined a uh, chief executive group 
uh, a group called Vistage, uh, which is a peer support group for people in management and leadership positions that uh, very much assisted me with um, different ways, really. There was, I had a mentor, uh, a very esteemed man called Peter Chambers, who assisted myself and my colleagues in the practice to put in place the basics in the practice. And I had a group of colleagues from different non-competing sectors that we were able to take issues or problems to um, and talk through and seek advice from colleagues, let's say, non-competing industries. Most of the time, the answer laid in the room and I was able to come away with a clear plan about what to do next. So I certainly would recommend anybody who is in any way struggling in a leadership position because it can be a lonely position and it can be isolated that there are organisations out there that can help uh, help you um, mm. uh, to feel supported um, in uh, in a way that you won't get from the organization that you are working with. It's actually interesting that you bring this point up because uh, when I speak to uh, people who run uh, solicitors' firms or barristers' chambers, they, they tell me the same story. They're, they're professionally trained in, in their actual profession, but then when they are slotted into uh, the world of their, their chambers or their firm, uh, that there's absolutely no support or training for the business side of the of the operation. Um, and, and some make it up ad hoc and some, like yourself, wisely seek advice. What do you think uh, that could be done on the whole across the medical field to prepare people for actually the actual practicalities of running uh, a GP surgery or an independent practice? I think as part of initial GP training, um, there has to be, and and certainly other professions such as a legal profession, I'm sure accountancy, um, where uh, people have a a specific professional skill that people need to recognise or be trained, I suppose, um, in the wider aspects of the how to run a business in a a good way. Um, And there are educational uh, tools and educational support. Uh, mentoring, I think, is an absolute key one. That if you can find somebody that works uh, alongside you and assists, who's got experience and is in a position to be able to advise you, that would help. But certainly, uh, probably the most important thing is within the basic training that takes place, preparing people for those professions, um, having whoever the powers that be in, uh, in those relevant professions. Uh, making sure that time is put aside to prepare people in a in a way for the things that the responsibilities that they're taking on. Now, you mentioned mentorship uh, earlier. Um, do you actually run any mentorship programs, or uh, have you taken anyone under your wing within your practice or your wider medical group? Yes, uh, the younger colleagues in my practice um, have jo- have joined my practice, uh, and I have spent time uh, mentoring them. Uh, on an individual basis um, to try and uh, impart, I suppose, knowledge that I've grown over the course of the last uh, uh, few years. The other thing that we have done um, has been uh, to use an external mentor, uh, not the mentor that I was was, uh, having within the practice. So we would have um, strategic meetings uh, whereby um, we had somebody who was, you know, not part of the practice, assisting, uh, educating, and getting us all to buy into the uh, uh, the plan of, of moving forward. And I think that certainly certainly helps that 
when you're making those key plans and key decisions that um, I suppose it's a non-executive role in other industries uh, that you get that assistance within the uh, organisation. Now, if I was a young uh, physician just joining your practice, what was the first? What would be the first piece of advice that you'd give me? Uh, concentrate on your clinical skills to start with. Make sure that you are comfortable um, <clears throat> uh, understanding the uh, complexity of the role that we have and the responsibilities we have on a clinical basis and uh, soak up as much of the uh, knowledge from the people around you uh, about the business side of things. As I said, fundamentally, when you start in general practice uh, or start as a doctor, your most important role is the patient. And that, that should still fundamentally be the case. Uh, and trust your older colleagues um, that they have the necessary skills to uh, uh, run the business. Because one of those, certainly within the first five years, I would say I've been a, a qualified GP. Um, there is a lot of learning that when you come out of uh, GP training, you feel that you're finished, or you, you may perceive that you're finished article, and in the first few years, you realise the complexities of the role. Uh, it does certainly take some time and experience to acquire. Now, unfortunately, our time together is uh, very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, um, what does the next 12 months have in store for Kilmeny Group Medical Practice? Uh, we have joined um, colleagues across the country. Um, so we have formed a division of the uh, Modality Partnership, which is a very firm believers in the GP practice. Uh, sorry, GP partnership model. So we've, we have come together with colleagues across the country. We have seven divisions across the country. Um, we employ uh, in excess of a thousand staff and have in excess of a hundred partners serving um, the population of uh, patients just under uh, five hundred thousand uh, patients in the UK. Uh, the challenge moving forward with the government changes to GP contracting is to how we can continue to provide a good service to our uh, patients, but also. Uh, diversify and provide other services uh, closer to home in practice for these patients. And new contractual arrangements that have come in with the UK government in the last couple of weeks should, I trust, uh, allow us to be able to continue to uh, to do that. Fundamentally, we believe that the uh, foundation of healthcare in the UK uh, in the NHS starts with a GP practice and we should be able to provide as many services as possible to alleviate pressures on the um, hospitals up and down the country. Well, Brendan, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future uh, to delve in a bit further. Brendan, thank you. That was Dr. Brendan Kennedy, partner at Kilmeny Group Medical Practice. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. 
many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. 
and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely, and um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially when I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, 
whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we... That you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did but make again, laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, in a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. Showed. The word is te- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.